Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle from the Table in Uniontown. Thanks for tuning into our podcast this week. We're happy you're here. This is the live recording from this Sunday's sermon. We're currently in our sermon series, A Living Faith, discussing the book of James. We hope that as you listen, you'll more deeply understand the truth of God's word and how much he loves you. Let's jump in. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, We're going to be reading through the end of James 4 as we continue our series, A Living Faith. Um, And we're biting off a a short reading today because the truth is, I create a preaching schedule and then I just can't stick to it. And so this is going to be part of a larger section and I was like, "Ah, I have too much to say. So we're just going to, so James is going to go a little longer than we thought, but that's all right. So James 4, 13 through 17, I'll give you a moment to turn there in your Bibles this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, we will have it on the screens behind me. If you don't have a Bible at all, or at least one that you can understand, please come see me afterwards. I would love to give you free of charge a shiny new, it's not really shiny, but a new Bible that hopefully you can understand and love for a long time. The reading. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we are we're meandering into the final of the three themes in James that we've talked about. Um, trials and temptations, at least according to one commentator, that's the third theme. Remember, our first of the three themes was riches and poverty, poverty and we talked about that for quite a while. And then the second one was wisdom and speech. And then the, the last one here is trials and temptations. And, and I think, I, I, must, I don't know if disagree is totally the right word here, but I would say that this section is sort of a hybrid of the, the second and the third themes, kind of making the transition to the last theme a smooth one, because the short passage today is still so much about what you say. While the whole context of this passage isn't like necessarily about speech, about speaking things out loud, uh, these are sort of attitudes of the heart, it still is plainly talking about speaking. After all, the passage starts out, come now you who say. Obviously, we see that there is a speech component to James' warnings this morning. Today's passage will remind us who it is that is sovereign over our world as well as our lives and who is not. And it will lead us to humbly resign ourselves to the will of God, and when we know him and when we trust him, that ends up becoming the safest place in the world to be because of his goodness, because we know that God is good. And so to be in his will, under his sovereign control, is the safest, best place in the world. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Joe Posnaski has written an incredible and lengthy tome called The Baseball 100, which I am slowly working my way through, and in it he tells this story. You probably have not heard of a ball player named Larry Yount. 
He was a promising pitcher from Woodland Hills, California. He had a presence about him. The Houston Astros took him in the fifth round in 1968, and he was advanced enough that the Astros tried him out in AAA in his first professional year. In 19, he dominated in Hampton, Virginia, and the next year he was pretty good in Columbus, Georgia. The Astros had their eye on him. He had grown to be six foot two. He'd gained 30 or 40 pounds after turning pro. His fastball had become an imposing pitch. Houston thought about keeping him with the big league team after spring training in 1971, but sent him down to AAA instead, where he struggled a bit. Still, he showed enough stuff to get his first call to the big leagues. On September 15, 1971, with the Astros trailing 4-1 to in the ninth, Houston manager Harry the Hat Walker signaled for Yount to come in and replace pitcher Skip Gwynn. Only a few of the 6,513 fans who had come to the Astrodome to see the game remained, but there's always a little bit of extra buzz when a new prospect makes a big league debut. Larry Yount was pumped up. His future had arrived. He barely even noticed in the bullpen when his elbow began to twinge as he threw. Nerves, probably. As he took the mound, he tried to take it all in. The crowd, the size of it all, the history. It was the beginning. Where would it end? All-Star Games? The World Series? The Hall of Fame? It was all possible as he approached the mound that night. The first batter he would face was All-Star Felix Milan, who hit 300 the year before. After that, he would face one of the league's leading hitters, Ralph Gar. Fast, hit line drives. And if he could get through those two, he would then face the great Henry Aaron. What a night. What a moment. This was a time for dreaming. But as Yount threw his first warm-up pitch, he realized that twinge in his elbow was something more. It hurt a lot. A knife. He threw his second warm-up pitch, and it hurt even more. He tried a third pitch, but grimaced before he even released the ball. The pain was so overwhelming that he almost fell to the ground. He had no choice but to call out to his catcher and the team trainer to call them to the mound. I can't go, he said, as he fought back the feelings that roared inside him. Are you sure, they asked him. And they asked him again and again, and all Yount could do was nod. He walked off the mound, came out of the game without throwing a single pitch. He believed, the way that Burt Lancaster believed in Field of Dreams, that there would be other days. But there were no other days. Larry Yount tried to make it back to the big leagues, but he never did. He became a real estate developer instead. His official big league career line, one game, 0.0 innings, zero hits, zero walks, zero strikeouts, zero batters faced. He's the only pitcher in baseball history to be in the record books without throwing a single big league pitch or getting a single big league out. Don't you see how, how ahead of ourselves we get? I don't fault Larry Yount. If I were on the mound in that situation and I was two batters away from getting to pitch against Hank Aaron, I mean, he was right there. If you ask Larry are you, in that moment, are you going to throw your first major league pitch tonight as he took the mound? You wouldn't expect him to say, if the Lord wills, because of course he was. It was a done deal. He's on the mound. He's right there. And yet he was that close. And it didn't happen. By the way, the, the book is about the author's top 100 baseball players of, off time, of all time. Clearly, Larry Yount isn't one of them. 
The story concludes. 21 months later, Larry Yount's younger brother, Robin, was taken by, the Mil- by Milwaukee with the third overall pick in 1973 amateur draft. Robin played just 64 games in low class A, hit okay, fielded okay, and was called up to the big leagues where he stayed for the next 20 years. Robin Yount's agent, his brother Larry. You just never know where life is going to take you. You never know. But we think we know. We make these plans and we think we know. Today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city. We'll spend a year there. We'll do some business. We'll make a profit, of course. There are multiple things at play here. Today or tomorrow, first of all. James wants you to recognize this morning that you might not have tomorrow. You might not have tomorrow. You might not have the next five minutes even. I really hope you do, but you don't know. You might not have a tomorrow. You might not die, but your health may fail. You might not be able to travel to to that city And even if you have a today and you have a tomorrow, you might not have a next year. And even if you have a today and you have a tomorrow and you have a next year and you have your your health, if you do go and do business, you cannot guarantee the Midas touch. You can't guarantee it turning to gold. You can't guarantee the profit. You see, you have plans, but God has a plan You have plans, but you're not sovereign. You have plans, but you cannot make them a reality. It might become a reality, but but don't be fooled into thinking that it was all you and your planning. You cannot make your heart beat. You cannot keep your lungs functioning. You cannot sustain your your, your own life. And it is that fact that should keep you from writing your plans in pen instead of pencil. So plan for sure, plan, but write those plans in pencil. Write those plans with the idea in mind, subject to change. You might have a plan, but it's foolish not to hold those plans loosely, knowing that life changes. My life changed so much from from what I thought was going to happen or what I had planned. I planned to graduate college in four years. I planned my class load accordingly. My grandfather died in the middle of my junior year. The grief was too much. I had to drop some classes. I graduated a semester later than I planned. Life happens, the good and the bad, and you'll never expect it. You'll never see it coming half of the time. Why? Because verse 14, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. This works in both the the positive and the negative. You have millions of examples of this. I have millions of of examples of this. When Sarah was pregnant with our daughter, there was a moment where we thought we were going to lose her, and we didn't quite clearly. You all know her, but, but the highs and lows of those moments should be tempered with, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Even when things look good, who knows? And in that situation, even when things look bad, you don't know how they're going to play out yet. You don't know how they're going to play out until they've played out. There's another time with my daughter, bringing up all of the drama that she's brought into our lives today. Um, she's not here, so she can't be offended. There, there was a time when winter, our, our daughter was breech. We were going to have to have this procedure where they tried to manually flip her in Sarah's stomach. It could end in an emergency C-section. 
It's a little scary. So we, we got to the hospital. We got Sarah in a hospital gown. We had our hospital bags packed just in case. They did the preliminary ultrasound to, to check on her, and she had flipped back on her own. Sarah got back in her clothes. We got back in the car, brought our bags with us, drove home. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. People have opposite stories of the two I just told. You don't know what, to, what tomorrow will bring. You, you had a job. You had a job until you didn't, or you didn't have a job until you did. You, you, your house burnt down. You had a home until you didn't. You, you planned and you bought a house that you could afford and you were responsible and, and you don't have it anymore. You thought you'd always get married and then you didn't. Or maybe you thought you'd never find someone. You'd never get married. You'd never find someone until the mo- in the most random way this person walked into your life and it was perfect. Or you, you'd never be the kind of person to get a divorce until you did. You don't know what tomorrow will bring, so you've got to stop acting and living like you definitely do. When someone uses an absolute statement, I almost annoyingly feel the need to interrupt it. This never happens for me. Things never work out for me. Right, until they do. Nothing ever goes my way in this area of life. Yeah, that might be your past, but, but not necessarily your future. You don't know what your life will be. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Larry Yount thought he was five minutes away from facing the legendary Hank Aaron. Instead, he never threw a big league pitch. Yes, past performance is the best indicator of future performance, but that doesn't mean that things don't change. You don't know which breath will be your last. You don't know when your heart will beat its last. You are not sovereign over your life, so you must, you must proceed with humility. And then James has this cheerful saying, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Isn't that nice? I don't, I've, I don't really go to Hobby Lobby, but I just imagine that that is not one of the scriptures that they have like a, on a big sign to put over your dinner table. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You don't know what your life is, but it's short. You are going to die before you know it. How is that for a life verse? No one ever says, this is kind of my life first. You're just going to die sometime soon. But it's so true. And James is saying, this should guide how you understand things. This should guide how you look at your life. Life is short, so don't write your plans in pen. You never know when your time will come. If you've lived, if you've lived a long time, even at all, you've seen your peers die. I'm only 36, and there are people from my graduating class who aren't here anymore. Your life is a vapor. Here today, gone seemingly tomorrow. So we write our plans in pencil, not pen, but also we remember, make your life count. Make your life count. Follow Jesus. Don't plan to follow Jesus when you're old and you've gotten all your your fun out of the way. Because first of all, whatever you think the fun is that you need to get out of the way, before you follow Jesus, that stuff will never bring you the joy that following Jesus will. The fulfillment that you desire out of life is only, only found in following Jesus. And also, if you're thinking about doing that when you get old, you might never get as old as you think. That's just the harsh reality. And Christians, for you this morning, your life is a vapor. Your life is a vapor and so is your neighbor's. 
So share the good news about Jesus with them while you still can. I'm not telling you to get weird. Some people think life is short, and so the next thing they do is they go and they buy a bullhorn and they find a street corner and they just start running off at the mouth. I'm definitely not recommending that. In fact, please probably just don't do that. But, but you know there are people that God has caused you to cross paths with. And maybe, maybe you get a sense from the Spirit that you're supposed to share the good news about Jesus with them. From one vapor to another. From one person with limited time to another. Do it. Don't plan that, that you will one day in the distant future. Don't, don't put off following Jesus. Don't put off being obedient to Jesus. You don't know how much time you have, so you must begin today if you haven't yet. So James, he started off this section by saying, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will do this or that, and we will go and do business and make, make money. And he's talking, he's talking to the kind of people that do that, and he's saying, don't. Don't do that. Don't think that way. Don't live that way. Don't look at life that way. And now he's giving them sort of what to replace that with. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Instead of, of saying, we'll go here and do this and do that, and it's all going to work out great because I've planned it out and I've got, to, I've got the skills to make it happen. Instead of that, say, if the Lord wills. Now, this isn't a a rigid commandment. That's a preliminary comment I think I need to make. By, by rigid command, I mean this isn't a legalistic thing where every time you mention any future event, you need to proceed it with, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, I'm going to run to the bathroom real quick. If the Lord wills, I'm going to make a sandwich. If the Lord wills, etc., etc. That's not the idea here. In fact, Muslims have this phrase, inshallah, meaning if God or Allah allows, and it's similar to our understanding here that, that God is sovereign over the things that happen in our lives, even though our idea of who God is varies greatly from theirs, they, they conclude a sentence with that. And from what I can tell, it is a more rigid understanding of, of saying something about any future thing. We don't, we don't have to do that. We don't have to say at the end of every sentence talking about the future, uh, if the Lord wills. But we know, and what James is telling us, is that it's the way our heart should view the future. It's the way we should always think about the future. So why does James frame it this way? And instead of saying, we will do this and this and this in the future, why say, or why frame it in your heart? Why understand that it's only if the Lord wills? Because this understanding leads us to rightly, rightly realize who we are and who God is, what our role is, and what God's role is. We are the vapor. God is eternal. Our plans fail. God's plans never fail. We die. God is the only one who can remedy that. That's why we should remember that we are a vapor, to submit ourselves under the sovereignty of God. This is what it means to trust God. If God is good, He's over all circumstances, then we can trust that in all circumstances that we like and in all circumstances that we even don't like at all, that he is working all those things together for our good. And to recognize that we are under God's sovereignty is to humble ourselves. He's the everlasting. We're the vapor. He's the one in control. We're the ones that aren't in control. This is humility. But as it is, he's saying, 
you, he's saying you, you don't currently live that way, you people who don't currently live that way, and live as if your future is a given. You should be saying, if the Lord wills and recognizing that your life is a vapor, but as it is, as you currently think that your future is a given and that you're in control, that you're essentially sovereign over your own circumstances, in being like that, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. It's arrogant to talk about the future in the way where the future is a given, where you think you have forever, where you think your life is just a constant. Some of us have the kinds of minds that view things as now and like not now, right? Like now and then some other time. That's, that's me. Any of the rest of you? Yeah, some, of you some of you get that, right? And maybe, maybe more likely you, you've put something just like put something off, right? Like that's, you kind of think about it like, eh, I could fill this paperwork out that I need to do, but that's a problem for future Joey. Or I need to file my taxes, it's a problem for future Joey. That's a problem for future me, right? You sacrifice the future discomfort that you'll have when that thing comes, when, when future you arrives, you sacrifice the discomfort of future you for your present enjoyment. So many of us see life that way. But we do it with this too. Death Death is a problem for future, Joey. Eat, drink, and be merry until then. Death is a problem for future me. But in doing that, you don't understand how quickly that future might be here. You arrogantly say, I have a long time, but you may, in fact, have a short time. The invisible hourglass might be almost empty on the top. You don't know. You arrogantly boast that you'll be able to go travel and do business next year. But you might not. If it's God's will, you will. God might have other plans. So make your plans. Plan to go and explore and create and make a living and fall in love and have babies and do all of those things. Please do it. Make plans. God has plans. And we are image bearers created in the image of God. And so perhaps in that, in that we, are, we are made to plan too in the image of our creator. So make plans. But know you're made in the image of God. You're not actually God. We haven't had an Ash Wednesday service here yet, but on Ash Wednesday we remember that we come from the dust and to dust we will return. And that always needs to be in front of us. There's always tomorrow until there isn't. Live with an urgency that comes from knowing life will one day end and you don't know when that day is. He concludes, so it is a sin to know the good and to not yet do it. Here in its context, the good is standing in humility before God. The good is to live with an awareness of God's sovereignty over all your life. That is the good that he's talking about in this context. And to not do that is to sin. To get ahead of yourself and arrogantly think your next 60 years are a given. You might need to repent of that this morning. So interesting, we, so often we think, of, we think of sin being these like big things. We have these big categories for sin. We think of sin maybe mostly in terms of like breaking the Ten Commandments, Right? But I believe quite firmly that we have absolutely no idea just how sinful we are and the grace we require from God. We would, probably, we would probably be completely undone if we had an actual grasp of our own sinfulness. 
But here's one to think about this morning. It's good, James tells us, to be humble before God and to acknowledge his position as sovereign over the events and the length of our lives and thus to humble ourselves before him and know that we're not sovereign over those things. And when we don't do that, we find ourselves in sin. And so the question today is, how's that going for you? Have you thought about your own mortality lately? Have you remembered that you came from dust and to dust you'll return again? Have you thought about how little time you have to follow Jesus? How little time you have to know him here? How little time you have before you see him face to face? The average life expectancy in the USA is like 77 and a half years old. Some people live longer. They live much longer. My grandma died this past year. I did her funeral. She was 95 years old. Would have been 96 the other day. Some people much shorter. Tragically, I I performed a funeral for a six-week-old this past year as well. Most of us will fall somewhere in between those two. What would it look like for your life if you remembered that you're a vapor? How would you live? How would you relate to God? How would you relate to other people? How would you talk about the future? How would you think about your plans? Michelle, you can come up. Last week, our scripture reminded us, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this week was kind of more on that theme. Are you letting God humble you? How can a vapor approach an infinite infinite God, but from a place of humility? Humble yourselves and find yourselves exalted in the presence of God one day. It's with humility that we take communion this morning, remembering that on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, and after he gave thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup again, giving thanks, and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. We are a vapor. We are here today and gone tomorrow in the grand scheme of things. But Jesus, Jesus, knowing this, came and he also appeared as a vapor too. Lived about 33 years, which in our world is a very short amount of time. But Jesus became vapor with us so that he could actually give us more substance. Rather than dissipating as vapor does, he brought substance. His, his sinless life, his atoning death, his magnificent resurrection, whether we live 20 years or 120 years, by that, when we die, it doesn't have to be the end. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus came so that when this life ends, we would get more and more and more life. That's the good news of this gospel. Do you want a life that doesn't end? Do you want to know that when your day comes, that day that you do not know when it will be, the day when your heart beats for the last time, the day when your lungs no longer have breath in them, that it won't be the end of you? Do you want that? If you want that, Jesus has made a way for you to have it, and communion is a great time to make it your first time to ask Jesus to do that for you. Don't leave this place this morning thinking you'll make things right between you and God next week or after the summer or when you retire or whatever. You might never make it to any of those milestones. Do it today. 
And so this morning we take communion by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup and remembering what Jesus did for the forgiveness of sins. The communion elements are found on my left back here in the middle of the room, gluten-free communion available back towards the back on my right. My friends Randy and Rachel will be available to pray for you this morning if anyone needs prayer. And if this message this morning, if this passage of scripture, if, it, if it's led you to want to follow Jesus for the first time, if you've put it off for a long time, but as you consider the brevity of life, you know you can't put it off any longer. Come ask for prayer this morning. I'm, I'm actually going to be over here by Randy this morning. And if, and if that's you and you want to talk about that or pray about that, you can come talk to me as well. So I'm going to pray and then give you space to do whatever you need to do this morning, taking communion whenever you're ready. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that life is short, that our years and our days are numbered, that we don't know how long we have, that we don't know what our life is. But you do. Thank you for being good and trustworthy, that we can trust you over the number of our days. Lord, I just pray that you'd have your way in this room this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would meet us at the communion table, that if there's anyone that's been putting off following you, that today would be a day that they start. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our Sunday service. If you're interested in joining us in the future, You can find us at 17766 Cleveland Avenue Northwest on Sunday mornings at 10. Additionally, we host a meal every first and third Sunday after service in order to fellowship with one another. Visit aseatforyou.org for more information. We hope you'll join us next week. Go in peace.